Will you please take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8. Today's passage is, it is the high point in the Gospel of Mark. That critical moment when the true identity of Jesus is made clear through a very profound yet simple confession of Simon Peter. So let's read in Mark 8, beginning at verse number 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... And laid his hands on him. He asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Our Father, we ask that by the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit that you would show us Christ this morning. That is all that we ask. Show us Jesus Christ. For his glory. Amen. You may be seated. So, This morning, we have finally come to not the end of Mark, but the the climax of Mark. And everything from this point on will lead us to the cross. The public preaching and healing ministry of Jesus is beginning to slow down. And his private ministry to the twelve disciples is beginning to really ramp up. He knows what lies ahead. He's almost three years into his ministry, and it's time for him to finally, to finally really show his disciples just who he really is, so that there is no more doubt. Jesus, this morning, wants their eyes opened, and he wants our eyes opened too. And so this passage before us today in Mark 8 is really all about sight. Not just physical sight with our eyes, but spiritual sight. And Mark's focus here is all about seeing Jesus for who He is, not for who we think that He is, or for who we want Him to be, but for who He has revealed Himself to be. How Jesus, in the parlance of our day, self-identifies. 
You see, what matters is not the Jesus that we think exists, but the Jesus who actually does exist. And often, friends, the two are worlds apart. Mankind today has all sorts of misguided ideas about Jesus Christ. You see them every year, a couple of times a year, in the magazine rack at Walmart, history and time or whatever, you know. But here in our text today, Jesus reveals, passively reveals even, exactly who He is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we have any view of Jesus that diminishes how He has self-identified, you know, we're all about that right now, right? Don't dare, don't dare diminish how I self-identify. That's what we're told in our culture. <laughs> but if we're going to do that now, we have to apply the same to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that diminishes how He sees Himself, how He reveals Himself, if we believe any of that, then we believe in a Jesus that does not exist. And our self-made vision of Jesus is nothing but an idol. And in the American church especially, we need our eyes, not these eyes, but these eyes, opened to the Christ of Scripture. So let's look at this passage together and notice just really two main headings, just two, two thoughts today. The first is the confusion of partial vision, the confusion of partial Vision. We've been, we've been in the Gospel of Mark now for several months, and by now we are to really be seeing the literary genius of young Mark. As he puts his Gospel together, shaping the individual accounts of the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples into a, into a bigger portrait of the divine Son of God who, have, who has come to save the lost. And this passage this morning continues to paint that very picture. But we may look at the healing of the blind man and this great confession from Simon Peter that Jesus is the Christ and wonder well, how in the world are these two episodes related. But once again, Mark, as he often does, is asking us to connect the dots between these two episodes. And even to the episode prior, back in verse 18, when Jesus said to His disciples, having eyes, do you not see? And now here, beginning in verse 22, we meet a man who does have eyes, but he cannot see. <laughs> it's exactly what Jesus said to His disciples in verse 18. You have eyes, but you can't see. And so what follows in verse 22 is an illustration. It is a real-life object lesson. Historical, historical account, for sure, but an object lesson for His disciples of those who have eyes but cannot see. But His healing, His healing of the blind man in Bethsaida was 
It's probably one of the strangest healings in all the New Testament because on the surface it looks like it takes Jesus two times to get it right, doesn't it? But let's look a little bit deeper. First off, Jesus and his disciples have left the western side of the Sea of Galilee. They've made their way up and over to the northern shore to a fishing village called Bethsaida, which the word means house of fishing. And there they meet yet another group of desperate people. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's meeting desperate people, right? They meet a group of desperate people begging him to heal their blind friend. Look at verse number 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Once again, we see Jesus pulling the man away to privacy, away from the crowd, and he's using this spit, right? Remember, we saw that a few weeks ago back in chapter 7 when Jesus healed the deaf man. If you weren't here for that message, then let me just let you know that it was, it was commonly believed that saliva had certain healing properties. And in fact, it does have certain healing properties to some degree. So, so by spitting, Jesus then was doing something that this man would recognize as an attempt to help him, to heal him. But then something strange happens. For the first time in any of his recorded miracles in all the New Testament, all the Gospels, Jesus asked a question. He said to the blind man in verse 23, Do you see anything? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes when I turn on the television, we don't have cable, but when we used to have cable, we'd, we'd, we'd hit TBN. You'd see Benny Hand parading these people up on the stage. and Can you see? Can you hear? And he'd snap his fingers. That is not what Jesus is doing here. How would I know that? Because Benny Hinn does that on a stage full of cameras. But Jesus has taken this man off privately. He's not a spectacle. He spits, he touches his eyes, and he says, Do you see anything? And in verse 24, the man responds, I see people but they look like trees walking. The man had vision, but it was a confused vision. It was a partial vision. Everything was blurry. It lacked definition. It lacked clarity. And now look at verse number 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then Jesus sent him home and says, Don't even go into the village. We're not going to make a spectacle out of this. So what is going on here? A little puzzling, is it not? Was Jesus running low on miracle power? (laughs) Did he have to give it a second try? Sometimes when when I crank my lawnmower, I have to yank on that thing more than once. 
Is that what Jesus is doing here? No, friends. All the infinite power of the triune God was within the Son of Man on earth. He could calm storms. He could walk on water. He performed exorcisms flawlessly, effortlessly. He could even raise the dead. So this man's blind eyes were no challenge to the Lord. He was doing something deeper here. He was showing his 12 disciples the kind of vision that they had. It was partial. It was confused. In fact, four times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not yet see? Or do you not yet understand? Four times. And all prior to this point here in chapter 8, as a matter of fact, if you look back up to chapter 8, verse 21, what does he say? Do you not yet understand? They had seen the miracles. They'd been there when he fed, when he just kept feeding people. And they had, where's this food coming from? They had heard his teaching, but they still did not really see and understand who he was. They were getting there. Let's give them credit. They were getting there. But they were still seeing Jesus like a tree walking. Just like this man with partially healed vision. R.C. Sproul is, I found him very helpful here. He says this, It is as if, Through this two-stage healing, Jesus was saying that the disciples had begun to see dimly. They were not in total darkness as the pagans were. Their eyes had beheld many of the marvelous things of Christ. They had some understanding, Sproul says, but they had not yet seen clearly. If they had been asked to describe Jesus, they they might have said, in effect, I see a mighty oak walking around. But I do not really understand the full measure of who he is. And then as we move through this passage, we see this concept of partial vision, confused vision, blurry vision, dim perception, reflected in the question that Jesus asked in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others say, well, he's one of the prophets. And again, we get this geographical marker. Mark is concerned that we understand where these events are taking place. Why? Because Jesus and his disciples are now on their way, once again, out of home field, (laughs) into Gentile territory, on their way to to Caesarea Philippi, which is an area steeped deep in paganism and idolatrous worship. And on the way there, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they say, Well, Master, no one is really sure who you are. (laughs) 
Some say that you're John the Baptist. You remember, even Herod thought that you were John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Some say you're Elijah, and Matthew tells us that some thought that he might have been Jeremiah. Friends, oh, how we need our eyes open this morning to the Jesus of Scripture. We don't need this blurry vision of Christ any longer. A lot of people in the church in America have it. They see a Christ, but He's like a tree walking. There's no clarity. They don't know how to define Him. They don't know the teaching of Scripture about Him as He has revealed Himself. And so the next thing that we need to see in our text this morning is not the confusion of partial vision, but the clarity of perfect vision. Look at verse 29. And Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? I know that Herod thinks I'm John raised from the dead. I know that all these other people, many whom I just fed, (laughs) have these strange ideas about me. I'm a prophet, yes. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him in verse 29, You are the Christ. See, this is the turning point for the twelve disciples right here. With the healing of this blind man in Bethsaida, something clicks. It's like when your friend gives you an optical illusion and you stare at it. You stare at it. You can't figure it out. But then all of a sudden it just emerges to the surface and you're like, Why couldn't I see that before? The image jumps off the page at you. That is the disciples right here, and Simon Peter in particular. They begin to see who Jesus really is. He is the Christ. Christ is not, by the way, His last name. It is a a title that means anointed one. And it reflects his messianic identity as the one sent by God, sent by heaven, to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven and bring salvation here to the earth. In Matthew's account of this episode, Matthew gives us a little fuller expression here. He says that Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, this was a clear acknowledgement of the true identity of Jesus as the divine Son. And it was a full affirmation of the deity of Christ. That as the Son of God, He is co-equal, co-eternal, co-everything with the Father and the Spirit. There is no debate here. There is no doubt anymore. It is an affirmation that Jesus is the scarlet thread of the Bible's grand narrative. He is the promised Redeemer of Genesis 3.15. The one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And through his person and through his work, he would bring reconciliation between holy God and sinful man. That is who Jesus is, friends. Not simply a moral example or a great prophet or a compassionate teacher. He is all of that for sure. But he is much, much more. He is the Christ, the only Christ the only Son of the only living God. You see, anyone can acknowledge Jesus as a great teacher, right? Anyone can acknowledge Jesus as a 
model of ethics. Even Gandhi once said, quote, Jesus to me is a great world teacher among others. But Gandhi would also say, quote, I do not accept the orthodox teaching that Jesus was or is God incarnate in the accepted sense or that he was or is the only son of God, end quote. Gandhi is like so many today. They see Jesus as an ethical model, an example, but not as the Son of God, the only Son of God. You see, the world doesn't have any problem with the little what would Jesus do bracelets that we wear. WWJD? They don't have any problem with that. And that is exactly why that notion of Christ falls far short of who Jesus says that He is. Anyone can confess Him as a good teacher or a model of ethics or morals, but to confess Him as the divine Son of God, that confession does not come from within us. It has to come from above. And Matthew says that much. Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John. Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, we cannot see Christ for who He is because our eyes are blinded by sin. We are what he described in John 3, men who do not come to the light because our deeds were evil. And we love darkness more than light. We must have our eyes, not these eyes, these eyes to be opened by divine grace if we are to see the glory of Christ, if we are to see Him for who He is, the Son of the living God. And friends, this is why we should pray every single day, Lord, show us Christ. Show me Christ. And Lord, keep my eyes on Christ. Do you pray that every day? If you don't, you should. If you pray nothing else but that every day, let that be what you pray. Lord, show me Christ. And we need to see something about Simon Peter here in this passage. Those who are at least a little familiar with the New Testament know a little bit about Simon Peter, right? He was kind of... I often think he was sometimes like myself. Very (laughs) quick-tempered. A man of ups and downs. Rough around the edges. Peter was quick to draw the sword to defend his Lord. You remember he cut the guard's ear off. If you've heard any preacher preach that message or any Bible commentator, you probably have read that he probably... Peter was probably aiming for the guy's neck, but he missed And yet he denied the Lord 
three times that very night on the night of his betrayal. But we need to be careful to see here in the life of Simon Peter that glorious confessions come from the lips of flawed men. Glorious confessions come from the lips of flawed men. And friends, that should be a great comfort to us. <laughs> you see, it's not our ability to live perfect lives or to live lives without moments of doubt that saves us. It is the grace of God in us that produces these deep confessions of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Friends, if you can see Jesus Christ for who He is this morning, it is by divine sovereign grace. It is not because there is anything smart about you. Consider what J.C. Ryle says here about Peter. Such bold confessions as Peter's are the truest evidence of living faith. We too must be ready to confess Christ, even as Peter did. We shall never find our master and his doctrine popular. We must be prepared to confess him with few on our side and many against us. But let us take courage and walk in Peter's steps. We shall not fail of receiving Peter's reward. Jesus takes notice of those who confess him before men and will one day confess them as his servants before an assembled world. That's what Jesus said, right? If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So Peter as flawed as he was, as quick-tempered as he was, even, even after the resurrection, even after the ascension and the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church, Peter was still flawed, friends. So much that the apostle Paul had to rebuke him one time. Yet he made the single most glorious confession of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. You are the Christ the Son of the living God. This is the high point of faith. You, friends, faith is always other-focused. We always talk about our faith. We worry that our faith is not strong enough. But do you speak of your faith in the first person, I believe, or do you speak of it in the third person? You are the Christ. The focus is always Christ. So I want to ask us this morning, friends, who do we say that Jesus is? Is He simply a bracelet that we wear on our arm that reminds us to ask, what would Jesus do? I think many times even the answer to that would be the opposite of what we think. After all, he did get angry and go through the temple turning over tables. I don't think any of us would ever believe that would be appropriate. See, a bracelet that we wear 
the piece of jewelry that we wear, wear around our neck, some representation of a token faith when times get rough? Is he just a tattoo on our ankle or arm or neck? Do we have some scripture verse painted on our bodies? Friends, what, what we think about Jesus is the most important thing that we will ever think about. And if our vision of Jesus is not defined by Scripture, then it is not just blurry or confused. It is altogether false. You see, we can't just cherry-pick the things that we like about Christ in the Bible and ignore the rest. We can't just believe in the compassionate, merciful, loving Savior Jesus while ignoring the Jesus who preached often about hell, who preached often about eternal damnation, the Jesus who calls sinners out of their sin to take up their cross and follow Him daily. The Jesus who warns about the danger of materialism, the danger of wealth, the danger of lust. We must believe in Jesus as He has revealed Himself in Scripture. So this morning, I want to call each one of us, along with Peter and the and the disciples to confess Christ as the promised divine Son of God sent from heaven to redeem us sinners so that we might be reconciled to our Creator, that the enmity, the hostility between us and our Creator will be taken away through the person and work of the Christ, the Son of the living God, who on Calvary, bore the sins of sinners, though he was not a sinner. He was raised from death in victory. He ascended to heaven in glory, all on our behalf, all for the sake of those who would abandon their sin and believe on him and place their trust in him. That's what Peter was doing here in pagan Caesarea Philippi. He was abandoning himself to the all-glorious Christ. Oh, friends, may we do that, each one of us, today. Let's pray.